How many of you know that everything in life is connected? And there are, every day is just as important as the last. I'm going to have to put this down for a minute, I think. Yeah, that's better. Everything in life is connected. And one of the things I've noticed about the gospel records in, in terms of Jesus' um, ministry with his apostles is that as they went from one um, situation in the gospels to the next, Jesus was continually teaching them and how one teaching session overlapped into the next. And part of the lessons that we may miss in studying the Word comes when we fail to be able to connect what happened now with them and what happened yesterday with them. And so um, I'm just going to wait for just a minute because what I start to say next needs to be heard by everybody and they... Got some folks that sort of went out. There we go. We got them coming back now. But what I'm about to say and read is going to be important to the rest of the message. I started to save the punchline till last, but I'm going to give you the punchline at first because that's going to help us look at the situation completely and totally different. Okay. Now you can. Uh, Take your electronic device or your Bible, and you can turn to Matthew 14, 20 through 32. We'll be reading that, and right on the heels of it, we'll be reading um, Mark 6, 44 through 54. These are two accounts of the same thing. But we're given information in one that we're not given in the other. And the information in Mark has tremendous application and implication on Matthew's record. So we'll just wait till everybody gets back in, because we're not in that big of a hurry, because like I said... Uh, we're not going to be here forever today. Matthew 14, 20 through 32, and then we'll be reading Mark 6, 44 through 54. So let's just wait a couple minutes. Let everybody get inside, okay? We could read the scripture because I'm going to come back to it anyway. They can catch it when they get here, can't they? Let's do that. Matthew 14, 20 through 32. Can one of you guys who are good at uh, bending things but not breaking them, could you uh, take this stand back home and see if you can get it to lean up rightly? <laughs> it's tilted really bad. I think it must have had an accident or something. Anyway, here we go. Matthew 14, 20 through 32. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full 
of the fragments that remain. Now, I'm using the uh, New King James Version today. Specific reason why, and I'll tell you in just a little bit. Now, it's actually talking about Jesus feeding the 5,000, okay? So that's what just happened prior to this. So they all ate and were filled and took up 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. Now, those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up onto the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you... Command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Now, let's look at Mark 6, 44 through 54. We'll pick up something a little different. Now, those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And when he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them, now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled, but immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat immediately, the people recognized him being Jesus. Now, here's the deal. Sometimes, what we think are faith-building exercises or faith-building situations or faith-building opportunities in our life, sometimes when we think that's what's going on in our life, that's really not the real reason. That's really not, it, it's, it, the situation is really not about building our faith, although it may lend itself to doing that. Sometimes when we misinterpret the primary reason, we go through stuff, okay? The primary reason. Now, 
Peter and the disciples had a learning opportunity when Jesus fed the 5,000 because they actually took the five loaves and two fishes. They actually, it, they, they, Jesus blessed it and they broke it. And they, the disciples, the apostles actually distributed it to the 5,000, which was more than 5,000, probably in excess of 10 to 15,000 people. They distributed all those pieces of food to those people and they took up 12 baskets over. Okay? So there was a learning opportunity. Now when they got out on the Sea of Galilee that night and the storm came up and they rowed and they toiled and they tried to get over to Bethsaida, which probably was uh, a minimum of nine hours in the boat when it should have taken just a matter of maybe 30 minutes, maybe Maybe an hour to get there rowing, you know, 12 strong men. But darkness came, a storm came up, and they were nine hours at least in the boat, and at three o'clock in the morning, and they were exhausted and whipped out, and Jesus came on the sea. There was a learning opportunity, a faith-building opportunity. But I'm here to tell you right now, that was not the primary reason this happened to them. Let me take you right now to what I was going to save to the punchline. You know what? You know what this was all about? It is true that their faith was built in Jesus' desire and capacity, and part of his characteristics is to protect his people. They learned that they had that opportunity to build their faith, but that was not the primary reason they were out there in that storm. You know what the primary reason was? It's not discovered in Matthew's account of the Scripture. It's discovered in Mark's account of the Scripture because it clearly says in Mark 9, 43 through 54, getting down there to the bottom, this is what it says. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. They were where they were because they had hard hearts. Toward who? Toward Jesus. In other words, they had a bad attitude when they got in that boat. They were in a position of unbelief. Their minds were occupied with something else. Their hard hearts had, had kept them from learning something. And Jesus took that as a teaching moment to break, listen to me, to break the hardness of their hearts. Every once in a while, I think we could probably make the same statement concerning us. Every once in a while, when we think we're in a faith-building moment, we're actually in a moment where Jesus is breaking our hard hearts so we can receive what He wants us to receive because in a condition of a hard heart, we can't receive from Jesus what we need to receive. And we misinterpret the faith-building exercise as being that when it's really about the condition of our hearts. I just thought I'd share that with you because I like you. And so either way, whether we're in a faith-building exercise or whether we're in a place where Jesus is breaking the crust off our hard hearts, it's a way of getting us to where we need to be and having what He wants us to have when He wants us to have it.
So we need to begin to put that into our filter of how we interpret our spiritual life, our spiritual walk. Because we do have places and moments in life where we have a hard heart. I sat in there this morning somewhere after daylight drinking my coffee reading this and I'm just thinking, wow, I never knew that. Because nobody really, I say nobody, it's rare when a, a, a teacher, a biblical teacher will take Mark's record of this instance on the water. Everybody wants to use Matthew's and definitely they don't want to use John's. So everybody uses Matthew and they overlook John. Now let me just tell you something. We're going to get into just, just maybe three or four minutes here on something that you need to know about. The Gospels are eyewitness accounts of what Jesus did during his life in ministry. There's four different, four different people writing a record of what Jesus did in his life. Eyewitness accounts. Mark, Mark's record of Jesus is not his eyewitness account. Mark was writing something here that he had to go get information from eyewitnesses so he could record, and it was included in the canon of Scripture. But Mark was nowhere in this boat. Mark had to get his sources for recording what happened from people who were at the scene. Now, something I learned when I was in seminary, we had, we had to go through all this kind of stuff, and when it comes to the Gospels, uh, when we got to Mark's gospel, uh, we were given some information, and I'm going to give that to you too. Mark, nobody knows exactly who it was or the people involved with giving Mark the account of Jesus' life for him to record. However, there's, there's historical information and there's, there's other um, sources of information that would indicate well, here's what they say when they refer to uh, the source Mark used. They refer to this source as the Markan source. In other words, Mark's source. They also refer to this person as being source Q. Like source with a question mark behind it. That's what source Q means. So nobody really knows who it is, but there is strong evidence historically that the primary person that Mark used to get his uh, account of the gospel came from Peter. So then when Mark inserts this one little verse 52, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened, he got that probably from Peter. You may say, what in the world does that have to do with anything? It has a lot to do with everything because it was Peter who actually got out on the water and walked toward Jesus. And it was Peter who Jesus addressed when he reached down to pick him up out of the water. 
He said, uh, what did he say exactly? Let's get this right here. In Matthew's gospel. Peter said, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So the same Peter that walked on the water and Jesus addressed as, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Is the same person that Mark got his information from that they were out there on that water because of hard hearts. Here's what I believe. I believe... That there was something Jesus wanted for Peter out there on that water. And I think when I laughed this morning in worship, it hit me as to what it was. You remember we had a, a message a few weeks ago about um, Jesus saying, if you had faith as the grain of a mustard seed, you'd say into the sycamine tree, be plucked up by the roots and cast or planted into the sea. And we said Jesus raised the bar there when the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith because he was showing them that the kind of faith they wanted and desired from him didn't really, it was really not about the plucking of the tree up and planting it in the seed. The, the, the thing was about that tree being plucked up and producing fruit in the sea. And Jesus raised the bar of their faith. This is what you need to shoot for. Same thing happened out there on the water that night. And that's what I want to show you this morning. Now, let's go back to Matthew. I've, give, I've given you the punchline. It, it, it drastically alters. It drastically alters the purpose of this event in Matthew. It alters how we look at it because of what Mark says and who Peter was. So anyway, Jesus got through feeding the 5,000. And then he, descend, he sends the disciples on their way. Now, when he sent them away, he was actually planning on meeting them in Bethsaida. That's the way it was understood. That's the way the scripture was written. It was understood. He sent them to Bethsaida, and he was going to meet them there. Okay? And he sent them out fully prepared. Now, it's generally accepted. And here was one of them preacher things again. It's generally accepted. That when they took up the 12 baskets of fragments from the 5,000, if you read the text, you'll see immediately Jesus told them to get in the boat. It's generally accepted by biblical scholars that the apostles took with them each a basket of fragments of the fishes and the loaves. Because when he took them up, the scripture says immediately he told them to get in the boat and go. They would not have left those 12 fragments, those baskets of fragments on the hillside. That would have been wasteful. And they wouldn't have given them to people who were going on their way because that would have shown preferential treatment to the ones who received the 12. 12 people out of 5,000 men would have received the basket. That wouldn't have, been, that wouldn't have been good. So they carried them with them. So they get in the boat, and with them on the boat, each man has a basket of food. Isn't that, it's just a reminder. Reminder of what happened, a token of what Jesus had done on the hillside that day. So he plans to meet them and he sends them fully prepared. You can look at it this way. He gave them a snack for their journey. Everybody likes snacks, you know. And so Jesus gave them a snack for their journey. Second thing is, Matthew's record and Matthew's record and Mark's both refers to Jesus going into a mountain to pray. But in Mark's account, 
It says that Jesus, during his prayer time, looked out on the sea and he saw them toiling and struggling. And then at 3 o'clock in the morning, the beginning of the fourth watch, Jesus goes to them. Now here we have another, have another example of mean Jesus. Okay? He'd been on the mountain for nine hours. He'd seen the storm. It come up pretty quick. He'd seen the storm. They'd been rowing hard as they could go. They were totally and completely exhausted. And he just stayed up there on the mountain, letting them toil their little self away. <laughs> And, you know, I had to believe if, if they were human, if they were like me, they'd have been one. I'd have been thinking, where's Jesus at? You know, he sent us out here on this sea and he's up there on the mountain somewhere. Where's he at anyway? We're all going to die right here. We can't, we can't hit another stroke at the oar because we're exhausted. And the little boat being tossed to and fro and the big tall waves and the splashing of the surf and darkness and can't see. You don't know which way to wind. You don't know which way the next wave's coming from, you know. Don't, you don't know if it's going to be the one that throws you on the bottom of the sea or not. And so mean Jesus waits till <laughs> 3 o'clock in the morning and he comes down there and then it says this. He appeared, he was walking on the sea, but he appeared to them. They thought he was a ghost. Now here's where there's a little deviation in the interpretation between the original text and what's interpreted in this translation of this New King James Version. It also happens in some of the other versions. They would have been better off, the interpreters, if they had left the word in the King James there. The King James says that they, saw a, they thought he was a spirit. Okay, it would have been far better for us to understand if, if, if they'd used that word instead of a ghost. And here's the reason why. In the Jewish mindset, in their concept of the afterlife, what they believed was this, is that at the point of death, a spirit or an angel, most cases two, two spirits would come and receive them into Abraham's bosom. As their spirit left their body, these, these, these spirit beings would, would capture or or lead or guide the spirit to Abraham's bosom. And, and we, we, we interpret Abraham, Abraham's bosom to paradise where Jesus is. It's a place where the spirit rests, where the spirit is blessed, until the time at which of the resurrection. And then the spirit is reunited with the body during the resurrection and, and all that. So the Jewish mindset was that a spirit was going to come after mainly Two, but a spirit would come. And so they, having just about given up all hope, they looked out. Jesus, Mark says that Jesus would have passed them by. Now, these, okay, interpreted. Here's, here, let's go with this for just a second. These men thought they were at the point of death. And when they saw the spirit, they thought, well, this was over. We are now going to die because God the Father has sent this spirit after us to collect us, to take us to Abraham's bosom. We are now going to die. We're dead. We're dead men now. It's over. That's where they were. <laughs> and the other thing about mean Jesus is it said that he would have passed them by, but they, they, they called out to him. 
Now, can you just imagine Jesus in all your distresses? He, he comes to you. He gets just close enough for you to see him and him to see you, but he keeps on walking. You ever felt like that? Pass me not. So first they thought they were going to die. And then it says Jesus would have passed them by. And this is a positive statement. This is not a statement of speculation. This is not a question. Jesus would have passed them by if they had not, they had not called out to him. Boy, I tell you what, put that in your theological pipe and smoke it. That's what the scripture says. <laughs> You know what the point of that is? Sometimes in the situations and circumstances, we see him, we know he's there, and if our hearts are hardened at the right place to the such a degree, sometimes you can be so mad you don't even want to talk to him. So you see, it's not just Peter and the eleven in this boat. Actually, it's us out there. Every characteristic I have that is human or fleshly is contained in that boat thinking I'm going to die in a bad situation. It's poor little old me out here by myself. Jesus doesn't care one whip stitch. And uh, oh, oh, there he is right there. He's walking on by. Yeah, I knew he was going to walk on by. He wasn't going to help me in this. Go ahead. Let me die. Kind of sounds like Elijah in the cave, doesn't it? Same thing. I'm going to tell you why. Elijah in the cave. Remember that sermon we preached that time down here? That we all shared in that, that Natasha wrote a song about? What was it about Elijah. He had a pity party in the cave. God invited him to come out to God so he could see and participate and be what God was doing. And he chose to stay in the cave and he missed all that. He was mad. He felt rejected. He felt beat down. But the God of all glory was within eyesight of where he was asking him, inviting him to come on out. And no, he wouldn't go out. He had a hard heart. And he absolutely that day missed the glory of what God was going to do for him there. He missed it. See, there was something else God wanted for Elijah. And Elijah missed it. There was something, I'm telling you, on the sea, on the water that night. There was something Jesus wanted for Peter and for the rest of them. But they missed it. And I think I know what it was. The scripture says... That Jesus came to them walking on the sea. Now, any of you who've ever been to the Sea of Galilee know it's about seven miles long and about four miles wide. That's it. It's not a real big place, but it's a pretty big hole of water. You know, you could stand up on a hill and you could probably see the whole thing, but it's still big. It's a large thing. And the scripture says Jesus was walking on the sea. It does, however, refer to Peter as saying this. Peter walked on the water. I'm going to leave that right there for just a second and go back to, the, back to the narrative in sequence. As they saw Jesus as the Spirit and they thought they would, he would pass them by and Peter called out to him. This is really interesting the way it's worded. Immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. In other words, I'm here, everything's all right. It's okay. It is me, Jesus. You know what Peter said? Lord, if it's you, command me to come on the water. Peter was still not convinced. 
And the other, 11, the other 11 just kept their mouth shut. Peter was probably further along being convinced than they were, but the other 11 didn't say anything. Lord, if it is you, call me <laughs> and I'll come to you. You know, Peter, it didn't take him very much to realize that, you know, if he stayed in the boat, he was going to die. But if this was Jesus, it'd be okay. But he really wasn't. He, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I don't think he was really convinced it was Jesus. Lord, if it is you. <laughs> so then Peter gets out and the scripture says he's walking on the water, but then he saw the wind. Okay, let's put this in, let's, let's put this in, in, uh, in, in clear terms the way it was. Jesus was walking on the sea, which meant the entire body of water as far as you could see he was standing on it he was in complete control on it he was the dominant force above it there was nowhere on that sea Jesus could not walk and the one place that he stood commanded all the other places in other words the place of his positioning his person and his authority extended beyond the water upon which he was standing and it extended to the whole body Peter however the scripture says walked on the water. That means, comparatively speaking, it's more like a river, a creek, or a pond, a puddle, as a matter of fact. And so the part of the water that Peter walked on, the part of the sea is referred to as water, but the place where Jesus stood is referred to as sea. The next thing it says that Peter, during the course of his walking to Jesus, saw the wind. Did you know you can't see the wind? You can see the effect of the wind. You can see how it blows the grass and the trees and the flowers. It blows the, the wind through your hair if you got any. I just had to say that. But you can't see the wind. So here's what I think. Now, I'm stepping aside from Scripture, but I'm, I'm about to tell you what I think happened. This faith walk that Peter was on. You know, Jesus came to his disciples, although they had a hard heart, although they had the proof of Jesus' provision sitting with them in the boat the whole time they were rowing, they did not any more notice it then than they did when they were on the hill. It was it was not obvious to them. It was like it wasn't there. They were blind to the provision of the Lord. Their hearts were hardened. Jesus had watched them from the mountain all night long. But when he come to, the, to them on the boat, it, Jesus says, don't worry, I'm here to rescue you. Jesus didn't let the hardness of their hearts keep him from coming to them. And so I want to tell you today, regardless of how hard you get, regardless of how callous you become, regardless of how stiffened you are against the Lord, regardless of your bad attitude, regardless of my bad attitude, I'm going to tell you the Lord can still and will still come to you because he's not going to let you perish. That's one of the things I learned out of this. He's still going to come to me and he's still going to come to you. Because he's got something he wants to share with you. He has a place he wants to go with you. There's a place he wants you to be. And he's going to get you there. He's not going to let your shortcomings keep you from getting to where he wants you to be. That's good to me. 
That's the kind of stuff I need to hear. The other thing is this. In a situation that you deem critical, maybe life and death, let's just look at it that way. It was life and death. You're thinking you're going to die in it, and, 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 and maybe you might be going to die in it. But in all those things, in every situation and circumstance like that, as you begin to walk toward Jesus, as you leave the place where you were, and you begin to traverse the difference between where you are and where Jesus is, where he wants you to be, you begin to notice things in the spirit realm. Now, Peter noticed he actually saw the wind. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a statement of where Peter saw something that he, he saw the uh, supernatural side of a natural occurrence. There was a window open to him that he peered into and he saw the wind and it made him afraid. Now, Peter during his life was a person who learned to be a seer. Okay, remember at the Mount of Transfiguration where it says, you know, he, he saw into the other realm. He saw Jesus, Moses, and Elijah talking about things which would shortly come to pass in Jerusalem. You know, he saw into the other realm. Peter saw into, he saw into the spirit realm and he saw the wind and he was afraid of that wind and what it was doing. There was another place in Acts where Peter fell into a trance and he saw this great sheet knit at the four corners being lowered to him. He saw something. So when you, when you, when you step out in that place and you begin to go to Jesus and you begin to be, you begin to notice the event around you that's transpiring, don't be afraid when you begin to see stuff that may not make any sense. Don't be afraid if you see stuff that you haven't seen before. There's no reason to be afraid of anything you see if Jesus is there. Whether it's a dream, whether it's a vision, whether it's a trance, or whether you just, you're, you're seeing beyond the veil into something currently happening around you in the Spirit. Don't be afraid of that. You know, Jesus made you that way, and He's giving you that opportunity so you can continually learn, and you can, you can be able to overcome the situations around you. But here's the thing now, here's the thing now, that really amazed me this morning as we sat here in worship whenever I laughed and cackled so hard. Jesus reached down. Well, when, when Peter saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And then Jesus said, he stretched out his hand and Jesus called him and said to him, and this is kind of like, this is kind of like when Peter was still in the water. He looked down to him and he said, this is what he said. He said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Pulled him up, they got in the boat and the wind ceased, it was over. Looking at Peter, he said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You know what I think was going on? Peter was walking on the water. He was walking in a limited space. He was walking in a place that was narrowly restricted. He was where he was, but he was no further. Jesus, listen to this. Jesus was standing on the sea. 
Peter was walking on the water. Jesus was standing on the sea. And I believe as Jesus was breaking the hardness of their hearts and as Peter, by faith, stepped, you know, granted, by faith, Peter stepped out on the water and was walking toward Jesus. Peter never made it to where Jesus was because he only walked on the water, but Jesus wanted Peter to stand on the sea with him. When he reached down to take him, Jesus, I don't, think it was a, I don't think it was an unkind rebuke, but I think somehow or another Jesus transferred the message to Peter. I mean, Peter was the only one who even got close. Peter, if you just kept walking, at some point you would have stopped walking. And you would have on this little narrow piece of water and you would have stood on the entire sea with me. You would have stood where I stand. You would have had authority over. You would have access to the entire thing. Why did you doubt? You see, Jesus... Walking on the water is not what he's after. He wants us to stand on the sea with him. And we can't stand on the sea with Jesus when our hearts are hard and not supple and tender and receptive to what he is doing. We can't. We can't stand on the sea with unforgiveness in our heart. We can't stand on the sea when we're mad and angry. We can't stand on the sea when we're rejected, feel when we're under the, under the domination of a spirit of rejection or depression. We definitely can't do it when we're afraid, when we have fear in our life. But Jesus wants us to stand on the sea. He wants us to stand where he is standing and where he has stood. He wants us to be over the whole thing. That's why years later, people, Peter got the message. If nobody else did, Peter did because he was at that place with Jesus. You see, and the way, the way I see this in my mind, and I could be wrong is that Peter, when he started to go down, he was not within arm's reach of Jesus. Jesus had to leave where he was standing to go to the water spot Peter was and pull him out. And I think maybe Peter being the seer that he was and, 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 and receiving revelation from the Lord, I think when he gave that nugget to Mark, I think that's part of the message. And this could be me. I think that's part of the message that he intended for the world to have. That's just, that's just me. But the theme that I am seeing, especially in the last few weeks, 
But the theme I am seeing beginning to recur over and over and over and over again in Scripture is this exact theme. It's about Jesus wanting us to have absolutely everything. And us, through our shortcomings and through our failures, our faults, and through our, the, the simple uh, daily exercise of being human, we fall short or we harden our hearts. But Jesus... Jesus has something more for us. He has, just like God wanted Elijah to come out of the cave, it's just like Jesus wanting Peter to get to where Jesus was. Something bigger, something grander, something more powerful, something stronger, a place of, a place of uh, relationship, deep and broad, but also it's a place of authority. It's also a place of power. It's a place of occupation. It's a place of being able to stand. That's where Jesus wants us. And he's not asking us to go anywhere that he hasn't been. And he's not asking us to take something that he hasn't taken. Jesus has achieved it all and he's willing to give it to us. And when the body of Christ wakes up to that and we get beyond all this other stuff, we will then be able to accomplish as the bride of Christ the things that he's set us aside to accomplish as a group but also as individuals. But the group cannot be that way unless we as individuals get it. Jesus wants more for you. Jesus, when the, when the apostles ask for a certain level of faith, Jesus says, no, no, that's not, that's not where I want you to be. I want you to be at this place over here. I want you to be at the place where you can speak to something and cause fruit to come uh, in a place that's completely contrary to its nature. Bear fruit in a salt sea. Jesus wanted Peter to stand where he stood so he could be over everything, not just over the water, but over the whole thing. I'm going to tell you something. I'm looking at 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, or 15 of us here today. That's what Jesus wants for all 15 of us. He wants us to occupy the place that he's at. That's what he's after. Don't be afraid. And for goodness sake, examine your hearts to make sure it's not hard. Because, yes, he will increase your faith. But, yes, he will address the hardness of our heart because we can't stand where he stands with a hard heart. Because his heart was not hard toward his disciples, even though they had a hardness against him. He said, it's me, I'm coming to the rescue. Stand where I stand. That's all I got.